Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, it's great to see you. My name is Stu. I am married to Emma, and I'm part of the family here at the vineyard. And Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. 2018. It's incredibly exciting. And we're about to kick off a brand new series called Rooted. And I guess right at the heart of this series, we want to introduce you to an app which is also ironically called Rooted, um, and we're going to teach into the next four weeks around what it'll look like for you to apply the practices of Rooted into your everyday lives. But before we do that, um, at the start of a brand new year, I would love it if just for the next like 20 or 30 seconds, um, we could just be still for a few moments, that we could calm and quieten our souls and just open ourselves up to hear from God this morning. Is that cool? So let's just be still for a few moments and then I will pray. Jesus, thank you that you are here. And thank you that we are here. And we come here because of you. We come here to worship you and to celebrate you, to do that uh, with each other, together as community. But also, Father, we come here to learn from you, to sit at your feet, to be your students, to listen to what you have to say to us. And as you so often do, Holy Spirit, you don't just teach us information, you, through teaching us, transform us. So we invite you to do that again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a tough week, hasn't it, getting into the swing of things? I don't know about you. Alarm clocks, not able to eat chocolate for breakfast anymore. Storm, Eleanor, um, although it's kind of funny, my mother-in-law's called Eleanor, so it's been kind of funny a few jokes about that this week. Don't tell her, though. Please, please don't tell her. Um, but despite the January blues, um, I wonder if you could do me a favor. Turn to the person next to you, and just for the few seconds that we have here, um, share one thing that you are really thankful for. Could be a massive thing or could be a really small thing, but just share one thing that you are really thankful for. Go for it. <laughs> All right. Despite it being January, it's nice to kind of hear that there's some positivity in the air, some thankfulness, some gratitude. That's kind of good. We'll, we'll be able to take January. Um, January is full of intentions, isn't it? It's full of good intentions. I don't know how many of you have made New Year's resolutions this year, but for so many of us, we're looking to this year and hoping that certain parts of us will experience a little bit of change, that waistlines will get smaller or that we'll read more books, we'll get some sleep, we'll get off Instagram every once in a while. Um, for so many of us, our resolutions are really good things. They're things that are going to bring health to our lives, they're going to benefit those around us. So if you have a resolution and you're going for it this year, I salute you, um, unless you've broken it already. And I'm going to just take that solution right back. Um, that's, yeah, you've got to wait until next year for that one. Let me, let me cut to the chase. What if our ultimate intention, our ultimate resolution this year was to become more like Jesus? What would happen if we as a community, with all that's going to come this year, resolved ourselves 
fully committed to become more like Jesus? What would that kind of personal transformation mean for you and for your family, for your workplace, for your school, for this city? Because remember, transformed people are the ones that go on to transform cities. As 2018 kicks off, let me clear the decks and let me say this. If you are a disciple, if you're an apprentice of Jesus, you're living a life that is to be defined by two things, a life of purpose and also a project. Your purpose is to join with Jesus as he makes everything new. We're to be those who both carry the culture of the kingdom of heaven within us, but also steward it as it breaks into the present and establishes itself amongst us, bringing the life of Jesus to so many people around us. It is a wonderful and remarkable invitation. Yet, we also have a project And this project is best summed up by Paul in 2 Corinthians um, 3, verse 18. He says these words, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, which is to look at, to behold, but also like a mirror to reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the image of Jesus with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit." The project of our lives is this ongoing, ever-increasing, momentum-building transformation into the likeness of Jesus. And as we reconstruct the rhythms of our lives around the life of Jesus and fulfill his purpose, we also get the opportunity to partner with the Holy Spirit, who mysteriously etches the character traits of Jesus into our own lives so that the fruit of his life begin to grow in us. It is a lifelong project where we get the opportunity year after year after year through transformation, we get the opportunity to become like Jesus. It is possible for you this time next year to look more like Jesus than you do right now. And for so many of you, you've committed your lives to this purpose and to this project. For some of you, it has only been a few weeks and you're just wrapping your head around what that looks like and that is so exciting. But wherever you are in the journey, I really do pray that 2018 would be a year of remarkable growth in your lives. My prayer is exactly the same as the prayer of Paul to a young church plant in a city called Colossae. He says these words in Colossians 2 verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul is inviting these followers of Christ in Colossae to not just stay static, to not just coast, Do not just get to a stage in the life where like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I know everything that I need to know. I've got a backstory of faith with Jesus. I agree to all the things that I'm supposed to agree with. My head is full of knowledge. I'm good. I can just kind of tap out and just sort of coast from here. He's inviting these followers to a life that is full of growth. And I don't want to be the young buck here, but particularly for those of you who find yourself in the second half of life, Those of you who maybe your kids have up and left and are moving on, you're maybe about to become grandparents or maybe you are grandparents, maybe you're coming towards retirement or you are living in the golden age. I think this is specifically for you. 
that actually this is a call for you to live a life that is full of growth, that actually in the season of life that you find yourself, this, it is possible for you to grow so much more and so much quicker than you ever have before. This isn't for the young people to just experience a life of growth. Actually, if you're in the second half of life, you still have so much to give. You have so much to offer. You've got so much to offer this community and this city that actually 2018 for you may be a year of remarkable growth. We are to be rooted deeper, like a plant growing into the depths of Christ and the project of becoming more like him. We are to be built up. We are to extend beyond where we currently are. We are to grow up into Christ and allow us to experience more of his purpose. And as Paul mentions, as you experience this deepening and as you experience this level of fruitfulness that you haven't seen before, you experience strength. You grow in strength. You are not a weak Christian if you experience that kind of life. So I really do pray that in 2018, you would become more rooted, increasingly built up, that you would be strengthened. I really do pray that this would be a year of growth, both in the project and the purpose of your life. But the question begs to be asked, how is it that we grow? And if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Um, it's 675 in the Bibles that are on your seats. Let me just set the scene for us. Jesus has gathered his disciples together on a mountaintop, and he begins to teach them. And he goes on to teach them probably the greatest piece of teaching that has ever been recorded. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus's kingdom manifesto of how they are to live their lives, both in the internal stuff, the stuff that's kind of behind the scenes, and also the external stuff that everybody sees around them. He teaches them how to live their lives. He paints this picture of a life that goes completely against the grain of the wider culture around them, a life that looks a little bit strange. He lays out the life of the kingdom, the life that they have been invited into. And then he lays it all out, but wraps it up with this final piece of teaching, which we read in chapter 7, verse 24. It says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built the house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house in sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and, um, and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus takes this example, which you're probably quite familiar of, of two men. The first man builds his house on a rock, on a strong foundation, a house that is able to withstand the storm. But he takes a second man, a foolish man, who builds his house on a dodgy foundation, and whenever the storm came, the house collapsed. And the rabbi uses this really simple picture to highlight that there is a difference between wisdom and foolishness, that there is a difference between a life that is full of growth a life that has depth and fruitfulness, and a life that actually has no growth at all, a life that is just picking up the pieces. And the difference, the difference between a life that is full of growth and a life that has no growth at all is found in taking the teachings of Jesus and actually putting them into practice. 
It is painfully simple. But we grow by actually doing the things that Jesus taught us to do. We're talking actual practice here. It's not just taking Jesus' teachings as information to listen to or even just to learn, but actually to see them as practices that are to feature in the rhythm of our everyday lives. John puts it like this. If If anyone obeys the word of Jesus, love for God will be made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must do as Jesus did. Whether it was in his teachings or in how he acted, we get to look at the entire life of Jesus through the scriptures and see it not as a life to be admired, but a life to be imitated. We get the opportunity to do the exact same things that he did. And so often, I think, We find ourselves taking the teachings of Jesus and just theorizing them, just letting them just hang around in the ether. There's things that we know about, things that we have studied, things that we have listened to people from the front talk about for years. We've been to conferences around these things. We've read books about them. We agree with everything. So often we just take them on as ideas. But Jesus is saying here that we don't grow by taking on information. We grow by actually doing the things that Jesus did. And we are to be those kind of people who tangibly root the practices of Jesus into the daily rhythm of our lives. Let me take it one step further. Kierkegaard puts it like this. The difference between an admirer, and when he uses the word admirer here, he's saying somebody who just knows a ton of information and hangs back at a distance. The difference between an admirer and a follower still remains, no matter where you are. The admirer uh, never makes any true sacrifices. He always plays it safe. Though in words and in phrases and in songs, he is inexhaustible about how highly he prizes Christ. He renounces nothing. He gives up nothing and will not reconstruct his life. He will not be what he admires and will not let his life express what it is that he supposedly admires. We grow by making the journey from admiration to apprenticeship. The life that Jesus invites us into isn't just being a fanboy of him where we know a bunch of his teachings and just kind of hang back. Jesus invites us into a full, immersive experience of practicing his way, of doing what he does and doing it over and over again until it becomes second nature for us. You will have seen this list before. If you want to fire that list up, mate. This list of spiritual practices This summary of the practices of Jesus, you would have talked about it in your tribes a few months ago. We are to reconstruct our lives around these practices. That whenever it comes to our daily lives, we're invited to do these things, to actually do them. So that whenever we look at our weeks and our months, and whenever we look throughout 2018, you'll see our lives expressing these things. We're to intentionally go after them building them in one at a time into our lives. You can't fast track this life. We are to intentionally pursue them, adding one practice in at a time. So this is a lifetime of apprenticeship whenever we see this list. So don't feel guilty if you're only at the minute doing one, two, or three, or four of those things. We are to slowly build them into our lives. Whenever I look at this life, I don't see, and I guess being from here, being Northern Irish, we so often have the tendency to look at that and think, man, I'm only doing two of those. I don't see that whenever I see this list. 
Instead, I get to say, my goodness, I get to live this kind of life. I get to reconstruct my life so that I can do exactly the same things as the one whom I worship. That is a wonderful privilege that we get to experience. And the key to unlocking this kind of life is intentionality. Proactivity is just so wonderful and such an amazing thing that we get to do. We get to proactively build these practices into our lives, choosing to read the scriptures, choosing to pray, choosing to invest in friends so that we can share the good news of Jesus with them. We get to proactively think, man, I'm not really seeing an awful lot of prophecy in my life, but I would love to go after that stuff. So we're able to intentionally say, you know what, I'm going to get around some people who for them that is just normal. I want to read some books around that. I want to practice this and step out in faith of this. Proactivity is so important. Because here's the thing. More of our daily lives than we care to think of are actually lived um, reactively rather than proactively. So many of the things that we do in our daily lives are unintentional and they're based on reaction. And reactionary living is full of its own practices, subtle practices, which are in and of themselves not bad things, but they're not neutral. Let me put it like this. Whenever you're with a bunch of your mates and one of them takes their phone out, what is the thing that you want to do? It's get out your phone, right? And then you see the next person get out their phone and it's like, my goodness. There's the mirror cells in your body are going a bit crazy whenever somebody does that. And you passively just want to reflect what's going on around you. You subconsciously react to what is going on. And instead of proactively having a conversation in the real world, you just get consumed in what's going on in your phone world. What about first thing in the morning whenever you wake up and you turn over and you instantly grab your phone and you go on to Instagram? You look at somebody else's highlight reel. Instead of getting up and doing your thing, getting the brock in and stepping into the day, the first thing that you do is react to somebody else's life. Literally, double tap. So often with social media, we feel as if that person's life is so much better than ours that I've got to buy that, I've got to go and do what they're doing. Instead of stepping into the day proactively saying, I'm going to do my thing today, I'm going to make choices that I want to do, we step into this thing of reacting off somebody else's life so that we're left feeling with this subtle sense that actually we need to move away from who we are and move towards what that person is doing. For me, the challenge is the news. Every day, every morning, the temptation for me is just to flick on to The Guardian, to go on to Twitter, to see what's happening, to kind of open one eye and think, I hope that Donald hasn't pressed that button yet. Um, what if, instead of like, looking at that and reacting to what is going on in the world, I proactively thought, you know what, I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to see that actually God is doing something so much bigger and something so much more important in the world. And then from that place, be able to step into the day. I bet you if I did that more and more, I will be so much more hopeful and so much less cynical. I'll be so much more positive around what is going on in the world. And I'll be so much less polarized in my thinking. Now, listen, your phones, social media, and the news are not bad things. I'm not saying that. But they're not neutral. They're not neutral. Today, more than ever, our daily lives are full of unintentional, passive practices that form us, that shape us, 
ever so slightly, they shift our thinking and our attitudes and our choices. They do shape us. What if we invested more of our day, more of our daily lives, proactively going after the practices of Jesus, intentionally building them in like a wise builder, choosing the best bit of land to build upon, the solid foundation to build a home. These practices of Jesus, they shape us also but they shape us not in the direction of somebody's highlight reel. They shape us in the direction of our creator. They shape us in the direction of the one that we love. As we do that, we will be slowly forming into the way of Jesus. Now, for some of you, you may be sitting there thinking and say, okay, I get this, I understand it, but it sounds like an awful lot of doing stuff. And doing stuff is the opposite of grace, right? Sounds a little bit like trying to be quite legalistic or trying to be quite religious in terms of doing stuff and making stuff happen. Let me just say this before I move on. It's really important to remember that grace is always, always, always opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. And that is religion and its practices of, oh, I need to do this. Oh, I need to earn something or I need to get through the tick list of my day. I need to behave in a certain way. Religion like that, it always takes away from us. Religion is that which robs us, but apprenticeship actually empowers. There's a difference. Religion always takes away from us, but apprenticeship into the likeness of Jesus empowers us into a life that is full of purpose and a life that is full of satisfaction. Because grace has kicked open the door to an empowered life where we get the opportunity to become like Jesus. That as we go about practicing the way of him and practice over and over again so that the practices of Jesus become second nature to us, we're creating the conditions for the Holy Spirit to encounter us, to encounter us with power. We're opening ourselves up so that we may be able to carry more of the kingdom and be able to use that as we go into our days. The master, Dallas Willard, puts it like this. The disciplines for the spiritual life are available, concrete activities designed to render bodily beings such as us as ever more sensitive and receptive to the kingdom of heaven brought to us in Christ, even while we're living in a world that's set against God. When through spiritual disciplines, I become able heartily to bless those who curse me, pray without ceasing, to be at peace when not given credit for good deeds I've done, or master the evil that comes my way, it is because the disciplinary activities or the practices of Jesus, that list that we work through, have inwardly poised me, have inwardly set me up for more and more interaction with the powers of the living God and his kingdom. Putting this stuff into our lives is not tick boxing. It is not religious. It is not legalistic. It is an invitation into a way of life that will be the greatest source of satisfaction for you, the greatest source of pleasure, the greatest source of joy. It will empower you to see the kingdom come. You will be able to become more like the one whom you worship. That is not a life of religion. That is a life that is marked by favor. So all of that is the introduction. Don't worry, this is only gonna take five minutes. And this is why we want to introduce you to Rooted. Rooted is an app that will help you intentionally practice the teachings of Jesus in the daily rhythm of your life. 
And we want to roll this out across the whole of the community to be able to practice this together, to journey with it every single day, whether it's by ourselves, whether it's in tribes, or whether it's here on Sundays. We want to journey through Rooted Together. We want, you to, we want to encourage you to practice the teachings of Jesus in your everyday lives. And we want to resource you in the best way that we can to live a life that is full of intentionality, a life that is full of favor, a life that is full of formation and power and growth. I've um, been connected with the guys who have been involved in building Rooted for a number of years. Now, I am such a big fan of it. It is wonderful. And Rooted is made up of four different environments that Jesus himself inhabited. And over the next four weeks, we're wanting to work through each of these environments and kind of teach into how you can practice these activities in your daily life. So the four environments that we're going to be working through are the cave, which I'm going to explain in just a second. And next week, Andy's going to teach into the road, which is really looking into the journey of our daily lives and how we can allow our lives to be interrupted by God, interrupt the busyness of it all, and allow ourselves to um, open ourselves up to his power. There's also the table. The table is the relational space, the time whenever we're able to get together, we're able to make time for friends and for family and for community, places that are full of love and a welcome. And then there's also the fire, the place whenever we approach God full of awe and worship, we witness a holy God and we long to become more like him where we experience a deep sense of transformation into his likeness. The app is available to download right now for free from the App Store. Listen, I don't know what the equivalent is on Android. I'm a total Apple guy. So what's in, is it the Play Store or something? Sounds a bit naff. Anyway, um, so you can download. The, uh, anyway, yeah, I'm getting a commission from Apple. Um, I pay my taxes, though. That's the only thing. So, um, so it is free to download. Um, please go home. Please download that. Laura is going to send you a reminder tomorrow morning and with the link to it, particularly if you don't know what I'm talking about whenever I use the word app. And there'll be some instructions around how to get to it. And um, so please do download it. It is wonderful. And whenever you play around with it, you'll really be able to pick up what it is all about. But our hope is that you would use this app every single day and that as you begin to use it, you will intentionally build these practices into your life. That actually this year, you'll experience a year that is full of transformation. If you've already downloaded the app, you'll just be able to see how simple it is, how easy it is to use, and how easy it is to build these rhythm in, rhythm, sort of rhythms in. But let me just take a few minutes just to unpack for you what we talk about whenever we talk about the cave. Despite the busyness and the craziness of Jesus' life, with so many people fighting for his attention, there were these moments whenever he just withdrew. He just withdrew from daily life. He retreated to a quiet place. He was able to strike this balance that we so often struggle with, that even though his ministry was so fruitful and so busy and so mad at times, he was able to sustain all of that and he was able to do that because he was balancing all of the busyness with these times of retreat, these cave-like moments whenever he was alone with the Father. So whenever, whether it was in the desert or in the garden or in the mountaintop, Jesus withdrew from life to an intimate place. He carved out these times. 
He would continue to go and serve people. He would enter back into that space, but he knew how necessary it was to withdraw from that, to spend time with the Father, to learn from him and to experience his love. This dynamic of withdrawal and then return was right at the heart of Jesus's ministry. And it's really important for us to remember that yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, he is God himself. But also in the mystery of the Trinity and the incarnation, he is also fully human. He is human like us. This dynamic of withdrawal and return, I believe, is Jesus saying to us that this is what it looks like to be a healthy human. This is what it looks like to be a healthy person. So we're to build this dynamic of withdrawal and return into our lives. Because life can be busy. We have to be on all the time. So what would it look like for us to be able to enjoy some moments quietly, intimately, in the presence of God, learning from him before we then return back into the world? Because if you do this, if you make time, intentionally carve out this space, I assure you, the voice of God will cut through the buzz of your everyday lives. Your character will deepen. You will become more resilient and you will be able to enter into the life of work, of home life, with an awareness that this is a day not just to get through or survive, but actually a day whenever God is present in all and through all and longs to bring his life and love to everybody around us. So the cave has four parts to it. Let me quickly just run through this. The first part is silence. At the start of the cave, you're invited to take a few moments to be still, to be able to sit in silence. Now, I know that some of you don't do silence, but so often over the course of a day, we're bombarded by noises and requests and by conversations. And yet by silencing ourselves for a few moments, we get to open ourselves up to the Father first. In the silence, we get to open ourselves up to hear from him, not just in that moment, but actually as a moment of intention that throughout this day, we say that, Lord, we are open to you, to hear from you. Lord, speak to me so that I'm able to hear you better, that you can cut through the buzz, and so I'll be able to operate from that place. Silence is a moment whenever we simply breathe in and we breathe out. We're saying so much by not saying anything. We're saying in the silence that we recognize God's presence and that we acknowledge that we are fully present to be able to hear from him. So can I encourage you, whether it's today or if you start tomorrow morning, start with 30 seconds just to be silent at the start of your day. And as it becomes more of a habit, then just build in another 30 seconds or another minute Sometimes you're going to hear God speak to you so profoundly. Sometimes you will hear nothing at all, and that is absolutely cool. But there's something so special about stilling ourselves and waiting for God. The second practice is gratitude. After a time of silence, there's this super simple exercise where we're encouraged just to think through three things that we are incredibly thankful for. And I love this because in a world that seems so much more cynical, so much more fearful, we can start our days by living differently. Instead of choosing cynicism, we can acknowledge the goodness of Jesus and step into a day knowing that he is going to continue to bless us and so many others. The third practice is scripture. 
You're going to be able to read over the course of the next two years the entire Bible. This week we've looked at Genesis, and then yesterday there was Proverbs 1, and today was Psalm 23. You're going to be able to read the entire sweep of Scripture in the next two years. And this is really important, not just because you're going to learn a lot of stuff, or you're going to hear God speak through His Scriptures, but actually there's something really significant about committing ourselves to the habit of reading the Bible. Because right from the beginning of our story, we find the people of God being constantly encouraged to retell their story, to remember it, to revisit it. You see the children of Israel always looking back to the moment of Exodus. They shared that story time and time again. And through this retelling, this remembering, this revisiting, they were able to see that actually they found themselves in exactly the same story. Alistair McIntyre puts it so helpfully whenever he says this, I can only answer the question, what am I to do if I can answer the prior question of what story do I find myself apart? As we faithfully commit to reading the Bible, we get to see the whole story of God, but also we get to find that we are part of that same story too. We're not just observers of the Bible, actually we're actors in its story. We're able to leave the cave behind after reading the scriptures with a day of details and to-do lists and tasks. And we're able to do it from a place of knowing, fully knowing that actually there's something much bigger that is going on in our world, that the king and his kingdom are alive and active and amongst us. He is redeeming and making all things new. And he wants us to join him as he does it. And finally, the fourth bit is a short reflection Because the Bible can be tricky at times, but there's going to be a reflection, a short couple of paragraphs every single day that will help pull out one piece of that text and then serve you through the day as you're able to think about it. So I would encourage you, actually, I'm going to use a bigger biblical word. I exhort you to get involved in Rooted, to join us on this journey, to withdraw for even a few moments, like 15 minutes every single day and enter into the cave. And these four steps can happen at a time that is best for you. It may be after the rush of getting the kids to school or during nap times that you're able to carve out like 15, 20 minutes to be able to spend time in Rooted. You may wanna do it as a couple. You may wanna do it with friends every once in a while. But I do think, honestly though, and this is the thing that probably you don't want to hear, I do think that the best time to do Rooted is in the morning. Take 15 minutes, set your alarm just a little bit earlier, go downstairs, make yourself a cup of coffee, find a quiet space, pick a comfy chair, get your app out, get your Bible out, and just work through these steps. It's so easy, and you'll be able to do it. And if all of this feels like a lot, if all of this feels like, my goodness, there's like four steps that I need to do and all of that, you've got nothing to worry about. Because already this morning, we have practiced the four steps of the cave. We kicked off this morning with like 30 seconds of silence. You then turned to the person who was next to you and shared something that you were grateful for. Then we opened up the scriptures, and then I've shared a slightly longer reflection on it. You won't have us tomorrow morning whenever you're doing Rooted, but the pieces of it are exactly the same. It is so easy. It is so accessible. Anybody can do this. So I'd really encourage you to join with us on the journey of Rooted in this next year. Let me end with how I began. 
What if our ultimate intention, our ultimate resolution this year was to become more like Jesus? What would happen if we as a community with all that lies ahead in 2018 resolved ourselves, fully committed ourselves to become more like Jesus? What would that kind of personal transformation mean for you and for your family, for your workplace, for your school and for this city? Because remember, transform people, transform cities. Let's stand together. Next week, Andy's going to unpack the second part of Rooted. Um, please go home. Please download it. Find it on the App Store or whatever the Android equivalent is. And um, Laura's going to send out an email tomorrow with all the details of it. Um, I'd really encourage you to get involved in this. Let me pray, and then we'll quickly close. Jesus, thank you that you offer us the privilege of becoming more like you. Thank you that at the end of time, whenever you return, we're gonna rise with bodies that are like yours. Thank you that we get to, we're able to experience some of that even in the daily mundane moments of life that we're able to intentionally become more like you. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would grant us, you would bless us with courage, with strength, with wisdom to be able to proactively go after you this year, to be able to practice your way, to be able to come, become more like you. Holy Spirit, I pray this would be a year of acceleration in our growth, an acceleration of becoming more like you, that we would experience remarkable transformation. And Father, we do that not for ourselves. We do that knowing that as we are transformed, that we become more equipped to see transformation in this city, to see people and industries and schools and businesses and communities absolutely transformed by your grace and your love. So Lord, transform us so that we may go and transform. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.